in this two-part series, we're going to focus on the rapture eclipse from the celestial countdown to Christ's thousand-year reign, as this particular eclipse is very significant because it occurred in the constellation of Leo. In fact, it turns out, saints, that our recent video on the war rapture, highlighting the connection between Cuckoo Khan and nuclear war escalation, surprisingly enough, ties to this eclipse in a very scientific, profound, biblical way. And so we have our war rapture on one hand. But on another hand, if we recall, the very first video of this Celestial Countdown series was called the Esther Rapture. And what we will see in this two-part series from a very demonstrable pattern that Venus connects these two themes to this exact eclipse in war, our war rapture, which is why this video of our Celestial Countdown to Christ's thousand-year reign will be called the Venus Connection. And in this part one video, we're going to investigate how our previous war rapture video ties to this connection in order to arrive at the Esther Eclipse, the conclusion of this part one video. But you have to watch it all the way to the end. Again, in a very scientific way. As I like to stress and point out, a claim without evidence is only just a claim. But when a claim has evidence, truth resides. And why Romans 1.20 is foundational when taking a look at God's celestial signs as they operate through patterns. And so with that said, saints, Welcome back to Supernatural by Design. My name is Jared. I pray that you've been having a wonderful and blessed week and that God's grace and peace is with you. Saints, I'm very excited for the body of Christ. We are so close to the rapture. I can feel it and I know you can feel it too. It's an exciting time to be a believer as we wait for our blessed hope, Jesus Christ. And I pray that this video gives him all honor, praise, and glory, and to strengthen the body of Christ. I love you all, brothers and sisters, and I can't wait to meet you in the air. Maranatha King Jesus, the King of Israel, a very important part of Christ's character, the fact that he is Jewish. Remember, saints, the whole purpose of Daniel's 70th week is for the Jewish people. It has nothing to do with the church and why we have to be raptured before it starts. Now, we can't know the day or the hour of the rapture, but we can know the season. And this video, saints, I believe will reassure and confirm that we are that close as the celestial patterns that you are about to see are revelations from the Holy Spirit. However, it's always important to take what I say or any YouTuber to take what is being said before the Lord first. That's key. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is key. That's important. And something that is less important than that is if you could do me a huge favor and hit the like button, share this video, comment on this video, any and all interactions you all do, saints, help this channel. And I greatly appreciate that. Let's begin the show. So, beginning with our celestial countdown, as stated in the intro, we want to hone in on the 821 total solar eclipse, as this was the first leg of a total solar eclipse crisscross seven-year pattern that occurs over America. Now, we will cover the other total solar eclipse in a separate video, because the main focus for this video is to tie this first eclipse to our war rapture video, reinforcing the idea that this first leg of the total solar eclipse represents the rapture. 
And so looking at that eclipse through Stellarium, just as the Celestial Countdown slide pointed out, this eclipse is in the constellation of Leo. Now, I'm not a big fan of the daytime on Stellarium. So if we turn off the atmosphere, the blue background, we can see the planets a little bit easier. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that moving forward on the rest of these daytime slides. But I'll put a little text box below so you know this is actually a daytime sign. See, isn't that a lot better to see? Nonetheless, as you can see, the eclipse was in conjunction with the star Regulus. That will be significant later. But flanking this eclipse is Mars and almost equally distance away on the other side is Mercury. However, the main point, the takeaway, is that this eclipse occurs in Leo. So let's take our rapture eclipse and our war rapture idea and bring them over to this slide here, to our December winter solstice timeline. In order just to recall that this month of December is highlighting this theme of war and that the plume serpent of the Mayans was the war deity, as we saw that connection in the War Rapture video. Now, transitioning to a Mayan background, we need to add a few more details that tie in the Venus connection in order to see how these two themes relate of our A21 eclipse and the War Rapture. But before we get there, I don't want to get too ahead of myself we need to discuss a newly discovered eclipse pattern. And so just as we discovered in a celestial countdown that the 420 hybrid eclipse marks a very significant connection to Hitler. Well, saints, there's only one other solar eclipse in the year for 2023. And this information was brought to my attention by dear friend and sister in Christ, Sister Paula. So thank you, Sister Paula, because this is fascinating. As she shared this fascinating article, because the very next eclipse, the second eclipse of 2023, guess what it is being called? The Great Mayan Eclipse. Isn't that amazing? We literally just did a video on that, highlighting the significance of the Mayans. And I had no idea that this eclipse way out in October is dubbed the Great Mayan Eclipse. Saints, that is supernatural by design. That is a Holy Spirit thing. Now, I just wanted to mention that eclipse here because we're going to come back to it here in a moment. As I don't want to ruin the surprise connection. It's fascinating. But anyways, let's come back to the Venus part and pick up on some additional details about the Mayans. And so as you recall in the War Rapture video, Cuckoo Khan also known as the Plume Serpent, or Quetzalcoatl, was the war god of the Mayans, with a small g, by the way. And it turns out that Venus was the planet associated with Cuckoo Khan. In fact, the Mayans would even use Venus, because of this war aspect, to help try to predict when was a favorable time to go to war. On a side note, what's interesting about that concept, Haman did the same thing when he tried to determine a favorable time to take his plot against the Jewish people. And of course, as we know in the Purim setup, it's why he's tied to the constellation of Pisces, which will be significant when we get to the Esther aspect of the Venus connection. But anyways, my whole point is that Venus is very significant to this plume serpent. And one more additional detail that's very unique is that as the Mayans called for 1221 of 2012 as the midpoint, it also turns out, saints, that that was the last year that we had a Venus transit, which if you're not familiar with what that means astronomically, it simply means that Venus came in front of the sun. Now, there's only two planets that can do that, Mercury and Venus, as they are the interior planets relative to the Earth. The other planets never do that. In fact, pulling up the stat chart from Wikipedia, I have highlighted yellow the last time that that occurred, which was on 6-5 of 2012. Occurred eight years previous in 2004 
but then not for over a hundred years prior to that. And then even moving forward from our 2012 transit doesn't occur until 2100. So this Venus transit was the last time of 2012 marking the winter solstice of 2012 was very significant. So Venus is very significant, not to mention it's tied to the plume serpent and war. Now that we have established Venus, its connection to Cuckoo Khan and war. And yet over here, we have our constellation of Leo. Now let's see historically how Venus ties Leo and war together in order to arrive at the conclusion of a war rapture. Saints, this is absolutely fascinating. This is where the Holy Spirit came in and told me exactly where to look. And remember, we're about to look at some historical dates removing the atmosphere. But remember, this is a daytime situation. However, if we go back in time to the very day that World War I started, Saints, on 728 of 1914, guess what constellation Venus is in? Leo. And if we fast forward to the very day of the start of World War II, of 9-1-1939. Guess what constellation Venus is in? Leo. And check this out, saints. Moving to the great Mayan eclipse on 10-14, 2023. Guess what constellation Venus is in? Leo. So not only does World War I and World War II have Venus in the constellation of Leo and Venus being associated with the plumed serpent of war. Isn't it fascinating that the great Mayan eclipse also has Venus in Leo? And so isolating this Mayan eclipse is pointing to war with our Haman 2.0 eclipse pointing to the rise of the Antichrist and saints that has been the exact theme that I believe the Holy Spirit has been leading this channel to uncover. That war ushers in the Antichrist. And why the Holy Spirit has been so crucial in uncovering this pattern is because the Holy Spirit acts as a deciphering ring. Because just as our Antichrist eclipse is tied to Haman, and we know that's biblical. We can't rely on the Mayans interpretation of Venus. We need to rely on a biblical application of Venus. And so just as we have Haman, saints, did you know that Esther, her name, not only is the three letter root of Esther in Hebrew tied to hide or conceal to be hidden, as we saw in the Esther rapture video, but Esther can also be derived of Old Persian, meaning star, and the Babylonian form of Ishtar. And guess which planet Esther would be associated with? Venus. And coming back to our incorrectly named Great Mayan Eclipse, because the eclipse occurs in Virgo, maybe a better name for this eclipse would be the Esther Eclipse. And just as Esther is tied to the planet Venus, and as we zoom into that planet on this Esther eclipse, saints, check this out. The king that she is married to in the book of Esther is King Ahasuerus. And this name is only used of three kings in the Old Testament. And guess what this king's name translates to? The Lion King. Isn't that incredible, saints? And pulling back from this, this is what the Holy Spirit has been making this connection of, an Esther rapture. As the only two eclipses of 2023, we have our Esther eclipse and our Haman eclipse, which we discovered in the Purim setup. Isn't that incredible? What a fascinating year 2023 
will be. And so let's see this in context to our celestial countdown. By taking our Venus and Esther rapture connection and the fact that World War One and World War Two had Venus in Leo at the start of those wars. Saints, this is why 821 is pointing to the war rapture. As our Esther eclipse, aka the great Mayan eclipse, is confirming this notion of the war rapture as Venus is also in Leo. And as we discovered with the Esther eclipse, that's the Lion King, Jesus Christ. Isn't God's celestial patterns phenomenal? As we consider the repetition and the pattern of Venus in Leo, God's wisdom is incredible. Remember, he set these in motion way back in Genesis chapter 1. As the primary purpose of the sun and the moon are for science. This is not astrology, saints. This is the intended purposes of the sun and the moon. In addition to the stars, the constellations, as their primary function. Okay, now let's dig a little deeper as we close out this video and highlight a few more unique details that further support this pattern. Detail number one. A comparison between the Jewish feast days for 2023 and Cuckoo Khan of the Mayans. Because what's extremely fascinating is that the Jewish feast days are set by the new moon on or after the spring equinox for the entire religious year. So Passover all the way to the Feast of Tabernacles. And 2023 is unique in that the new moon exactly lands just one day after the spring equinox which can vary because the lunar cycle differs from the solar cycle by 11 days. Hence why this new moon is fascinating and setting the Jewish feast calendar for the year of 2023. Okay, now this is how it ties into the Mayans, which will be fascinating to see, especially as we consider that we have the great Mayan eclipse occurring in 2023 because the temple that the Mayans built for Cuckoo Khan was constructed in such a way that only on the equinoxes, the spring and the fall, in our case what's unique is the spring, but that the shadow of the sun makes it appear as if a serpent is coming down. Or what we learned in the war rapture, Satan being cast out. And so the fact that the Jewish holidays are set on the spring equinox the exact same day of this cuckoo con coming down, saints, that is not coincidental and further supports the notion that 2023 is going to be very unique. Not to mention, March is also the month that Purim and Esther are contained in. As Purim for 2023 is celebrated on March 6th and 7th, and so we have a very unique synchronicity with the great Mayan eclipse that will be seen over the same temple that the spring equinox makes this shadow casting. And then finally, Cuckoo Khan of the Mayans is the exact same as Quetzalcoatl of the Aztecs. And the Aztecs' new year begins on March 12th, one week after Purim. Now, Significant detail number two, as this one highlights the significance of Venus for 2023. Now, if you're familiar with the video, I Pet Goat 2, a highly symbolic end times roadmap, there seems to be a connection to the Chinese Zodiac and the events that are played out within the video. Here, let me give an example. Where we have this scene of a girl waving a peace flag, and on the back of her coat, it shows a tiger. And then as she turns around, on her face is a nuclear symbol with the same colors as Ukraine. And then it pans to the skeleton character with fireworks in the background. And so moreover, the three symbols I want us to be sensitive to 
is a tiger, the Ukraine connection, and the fireworks. Because in real life, the Ukrainian invasion took place on 224 of 2022. Because just 23 days previous, the Chinese New Year, which is based on a lunar cycle, was celebrated on February 1st. And guess what the symbolic animal was associated with that Chinese New Year? The tiger. Isn't that interesting? Therefore, the scene that's being depicted in IPET Go 2 with the Ukrainian invasion is tying it to the Chinese New Year of the tiger. And so, using this example of the Chinese New Year symbols reflecting real-world events, check this out, saints. Previously, I did a video called the UFO Rapture, which definitely check out for the deeper dive details. But high level, this scene was pointing to the rapture of the body of Christ. However, in this particular scene, we saw how the rabbit was tied to the resurrection aspect of the rapture, as those who have died in Christ first will be raptured first. Well, saints, did you know that 2023, beginning January 22nd of the Chinese New Year, guess what the animal symbol is? Saints, it's the rabbit. Isn't that interesting? And for the icing on top, it turns out, coincidentally, well, not coincidentally, but on the exact day when the year of the rabbit starts of January 22nd, and here's our Venus connection. As we pull up Stellarium, Venus is an exact conjunction with Saturn, not the 21st or the 23rd, but exactly on the 22nd, the start of the Chinese New Year of the rabbit. And to bring in a Mayan aspect to this, it turns out, saints, that the Mayans viewed a sun-setting Venus as being a prime time for war. Saints, that's exactly what this is. Venus appears in the night sky at the setting of the sun, providing further support of a war rapture. Isn't that fascinating? A war rapture contained in this IPET GOAT 2, tying in the year of the rabbit. Hopefully you're seeing how much overlay there is in this particular war rapture theme. And so both details of the spring equinox and Cuckoo Khan and its connection with Purim for the month of March, along with our year of the rabbit, UFO rapture, and a war setting Venus are also pointing to war escalation for the year of 2023. And so without further ado, in this part one video, the Esther Eclipse, this is where we're going to end this video. But before we go, saints, I want to put you onto an incredible new YouTube channel by Brother Carlos called The Bible Architecture. This beloved brother in Christ has some fascinating Holy Spirit insights. And I suggest you subscribe to his channel. And so I'll put a link to his channel in the description so you can check out his content. And so now with all that being said, saints, I just want to thank you for watching. I love y'all. Jesus loves y'all. And he wants to talk to you personally. What a wonderful Savior we have. Maranatha, King Jesus. And until next time, saints, God bless. this video series regarding the celestial countdown to Christ's thousand year reign, we have been examining different components of this celestial pattern. In fact, if you recall in our previous video, the Esther Eclipse Part 1, we saw how the 821-2017 eclipse was connected to Esther and the Esther Rapture. In fact, one reason why this particular eclipse, the Holy Spirit has had me dub it the rapture eclipse. And anyways, through Esther, we saw that there was a unique connection to war and the rapture. And why that particular connection was unique 
was the fact that it wasn't the original reason why the Holy Spirit had me call it the rapture eclipse. In fact, I had a totally different way of coming to it. And so in this part two video, that's exactly what we're going to do this time. And so in a way, this is a second confirmation that the 821 2017 total solar eclipse is pointing to the rapture. And we will do this by looking at some historical examples in addition to my own personal vision of the rapture. In fact, this will be the first time I've ever discussed it on this channel. And so I've been looking forward to using it in a way that fits to a pattern. And so with that said, saints, welcome back to Supernatural by Design. My name is Jared. I pray that you've been having a wonderful and blessed week and that God's grace and peace is with you. Saints, we have an absolutely fun video today. But before we begin this journey together, we need to lay out some ground rules. So let's lay out some quick Bible verses. One, I am not perfect, and therefore, this video and content can have error. So I ask that you take all things before the Lord first, before taking it as true. Just like what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Two, we cannot know the day nor the hour of the rapture, because if we could know the day or the hour, then we wouldn't need to watch, as illustrated in Matthew 25, verse 13, and the parable of the ten bridesmaids. However, we can know the season, and is the purpose of these celestial videos, as celestial signs always point to God. So that's kind of a rule unto itself as well and why it differs from astrology, as celestial events are used for signs and for denoting seasons, just like what we read in Genesis 1.14. And then thirdly, the whole purpose of Daniel's 70th week, and found in Daniel 9.24, is to redeem the people of Israel, God's holy people, the apple of his eye, and why we want to pray for the people of Israel and the peace of Israel. And then one more, is the significance of numbers, in particular the number 11, as it represents twofold, a promise of a blessing and a promise of a judgment. And we know numbers are significant in the Bible, as Daniel's 70-week prophecy, by definition, is a mathematical prophecy. Not to mention all the sevens in the book of Revelation, plus calculating the number of the beast requires wisdom. So numbers are very significant in the Bible. And if you want more biblical examples of the meaning of number 11, I have two videos that cover that. And so those are the four points that will be significant for really any video you watch on this channel. Uh, and then lastly, lastly, if you do me a huge favor and hit the like button, share this video, comment down below, uh, as any and all interactions you all do help to support this channel. And I greatly appreciate that. And now with that said, Let's go ahead and begin part two of the Esther Eclipse. So let's begin with our celestial countdown to Christ's thousand year reign pattern on the screen. And if we focus our attention on the rapture eclipse of 821, 2017, and we pull it up on Stellarium, I want us to focus on three items. First is the date, 821, as that is an 11 date and is defined as such the day plus the month as the mathematical general expression. The year is also significant, but not for this exercise. Now, the second detail I want us to pay attention to is the fact that the eclipse occurs in the constellation of Leo and tied to that, but also very significant detail is this particular star of Leo, Regulus, which is also known as the King Star in fact, across many ancient cultures, and is of particular interest for us because the total solar eclipse is in conjunction with Regulus and will be significant later. In addition to the constellation of Leo, as Leo in the Bible is associated with Jesus as he is the lion from the tribe of Judah and found in the book of Revelation. And so it's these three details that we want to carry through. Dates, particularly with emphasis to the number 11, Leo, the constellation, 
and his connection to the Messiah. And then finally, the main star of Leo, Regulus, the king star. Now, let's set these three details aside in order that we can go to our second example that I now want to show you. And for this example, saints, I'm going to pull a couple of excerpts from two videos in order to make this point. So here, check this out. For centuries, scientists, historians, and Bible scholars have studied the stars. Many believe there are messages in them. One of the most significant for Christians and Jews was the Star of Bethlehem, which foretold the birth of Christ. Some scholars have argued whether this star was genuine or a legend created by the early church. In his documentary, The Star of Bethlehem, Rick Larson unlocks this heavenly mystery by following clues from the Bible. Imagine I asked a question that's just loaded, loaded with clues. They said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Those three clues right there. Did you see him go by? Whatever the Magi saw in the sky suggested to them birth, the Jewish nation, and kingship. Next, they say, we saw his star in the east. I'm going to stop there because I have to correct the translation a little bit. When it says we saw his star in the east, okay, sure, they were in the east. And so, yes, they saw his star when they were in the east. But that's not the sense of the Greek. The Greek says they saw the star on Anatole, which means rising in the east. And that's a clue because most stars rise in the east because of the rotation of the earth, of course, but not all stars do that, like pole stars don't. So that's another clue. But Herod didn't know when the star appeared, he had to ask. And that's really fascinating to me because it, that just suggests that it may have been an ordinary thing in the sky that was striking when explained. When the Magi put it in context and said what was happening and had been happening for the last nine months, I think that's what blew him away. Look, if a comet appears in that ancient culture where everybody sees the sky most and every night, are people gonna know about it? Yeah, and it's an omen of doom. It's going to be the talk in town. I mean, everybody's going to be buzzing about it. So probably not a comet. Well, how about a nova, an exploding star? Now, they appear at a point in time. That's good. Last over time. They rotate. I mean, I should say they rise in the east. Probably not a nova, though, for the same reasons. You look at the Chinese records, there aren't any nova recorded. And also, Herod would not have had to ask. You know, if, if the thing appears, everyone's going to know. So we wiped out everything? No, we haven't. There's another class of things. We have one class of stars that we call wandering stars. Uh, we, today, moderns call them planets, but that word comes from the Greek verb to wander. Uh, they're called wandering because they move around in the field of fixed stars. When you go outside and look up tonight, you're going to see just this huge canopy of stars. We often visualize it as a sphere over the Earth. Um, and those stars, most of them in, the, in that sphere, they move very, very slowly. Of course, it's really us that's moving, but the Earth rotates, and it makes the stars appear to rise in the east and set in the west, right? Most stars, then, are in the, in the fixed class, but then there are the wandering stars, the planets. And the planets move around through the field of fixed stars. They do interesting things. So might one of these wandering stars have something to do with Messiah's star? Well, that's going to be our working hypothesis. Um, anybody tell me what's the largest planet in the solar system? That's Jupiter. Jupiter's name for the highest god in the Roman pantheon. Uh, it's a gas giant, we call it. It's the biggest planet by far. It's about 11 times the diameter of Earth. It's you know, hundreds of times more massive. Runs in an a, a, orbit way outside of Earth. It takes about 12 years to get around the sun. So might Jupiter, which has been known as the king planet from ancient times because it's the biggest one, um, might Jupiter have something to do with Messiah's star? Well, that's going to be a hypothesis, the hypothesis that we can test. Now, it's not going to be enough to have a kingly name. Jupiter's going to have to do some pretty peculiar things to satisfy all nine points from the Bible. So did Jupiter do that? So now I'm going to take you and show you the starry dance. We're going to go to the sky and see what really happened 2,000 years ago. This uh, program, incidentally, is uh, called Starry Night. And uh, it's a fabulous program. I'm only going to use it just a little here today to show you something spectacular. But if you're interested in astronomy, it's great stuff. Used widely by astronomers around the world. It is extremely accurate. It incorporates Kepler's uh, three laws of planetary motion, plus Newton refined Kepler's work. He added something called perturbations, uh, and so and that's all included in the, the software. So what I'm going to be showing you through these screens is not something that approximates what things looked like in ancient times. It's quite an accurate reproduction of the positions of the planets because we can actually calculate that. So um, we can view from any place we like. I'm choosing to view from Babylon because I believe that's probably where the Magi came from. That's the Eastern school. And now most everybody in this room knows that Babylon's in Iraq. 
people didn't used to know that, but now everybody's very familiar. It's about 60 miles south of Baghdad, right? Um, and you can choose to choose any time to view, and we're view, viewing 3 BC. It's September. This is the compass rose. It says east, and this red line is the path of Jupiter through the sky. I've turned it on just to make it easier for you to follow Jupiter. Now, when I animate the sky, what's going to happen is you're going to watch the screen increment, and it's going to kind of do it stepwise. And what's happening in between those steps is the program is running through all that math to make sure that exactly what, you know, what you see is exactly what happened. So let's take a look. And we see Jupiter rising. Oh, cool, Mr. Larson. There better be more, right? <laughs> I got this more. There's more. I'm, I'm already messing with you, though, because there are actually two things here. Can you see the two objects there? Let me take you to another screen so I can enlarge it without messing this screen up. I'm just going to zoom in. And as I zoom in, you'll find that there are two objects there. This is Jupiter. The smaller object is a star. It has a name. It's called Regulus. That's the same word root as our word regal. The Babylonians called Regulus uh, Sharu, which means king. The Romans called Regulus Rex, which means king. This is the king star. We now have the king planet, the king star, coming into very close approach. Now, I'd already told you that wandering stars move about in the field of fixed stars, right? But um, they, don't, they don't do it correctly. <laughs> Just so you know, the planets misbehave. Let me show you what they do. Uh, here's what it looks like. Well, here's what Mars is, uh, looks like as it moves through the fixed stars. It moves along like you'd expect it to, but then it slows down and loops, continues on a ways, and loops again. Well, what's with that, Mars? That's pretty weird, isn't it? Okay. I mean, it's looping through the sky like that? That's exactly what it looks like, but of course it's optical. It's what uh, astronomers call retrograde motion. Retrograde motion. It's caused by the fact that we're watching from a moving platform. Just like when you are driving your car and you pass somebody on the roadway, they appear to drop back. Uh, they're not really going backwards. You're just watching from a moving platform. Same thing. We're watching from Earth. And so when Earth spins past another planet in its orbit, that planet may appear to act strangely, move backwards, retrograde motion. And Jupiter does that, of course. Jupiter's retrograde is very shallow, if I can get my star to go on. Jupiter goes like this. It slows up. It doesn't blink like that. And it does a very shallow little circle, kind of a little like that. Yeah, it kind of looks like a halo over somebody. So did Jupiter do that at an interesting time? Well, yes, it did. Let's take a look. I'll animate Jupiter and let it drop a tail so you can watch it. Jupiter passed Regulus, changed its mind, stopped and went back for a second close approach. That's two. Passed Regulus again, changed its mind, and came back for a third close approach. Triple conjunction, much more rare, much more rare. And if you choose to see it, Jupiter has just drawn a halo or a crown over the king planet. Interesting. I can see king there, can't you? I can see king, 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 right? Some people would say, well, king, 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 you know, new king, or maybe it means birth. I don't know. I, I can't get much more out of that, but I do see king there. Very true. A lot of stuff still missing, though. I mean, I don't see the Jewish nation up there anyplace. So, of course, there's more. Next, I want to ask you a question. Um, Twelve Jewish tribes, one produces Messiah. Which one? Anybody know? You're right. Say it louder. It's Judah. That's right. What's the animal symbol for the tribe of Judah? That's correct. Okay, good. Let me take you to the first book of the Bible. Look at Genesis 49 for a prediction of the coming Messiah. We read, You're a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom the scepter belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. I need a prop. I'm going to use this for a prop. Y'all know what a scepter is? The thing that kings hold to show that they're kings, right? I want you to remember the scepter is going to show up again. Okay, so this is a prediction of Messiah coming in his role as king of, king of kings. Well, that association with the Lion of Judah, that helps us. Let's go back to the sky. If we look at the sky and turn on the constellations, we'll see that Jupiter has been crowning Regulus right here in the constellation Leo the Lion. Well, now I can see an association with the Jewish nation. I can see King 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 in Leo. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Wasn't that Rick Larson, the star of Bethlehem documentary, fascinating? Well, if you want to see the full-length documentary, I will leave a link in the description below. However, Saints, he is not the only one that has come to this conclusion. So let me provide one more clip from Dr. Michael Heiser when he was interviewed on Skywatch TV. 
So here, check this out. When John, earlier in the chapter, starts earlier in the book, is, is talking about looking into the heavens and seeing things, mm-hmm. he actually means what he says, <laughs> that there's something going on. And so he sees a great sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. He's looking at the sky. I mean, this, this is, again, what I was reading, and I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, given all the, the celestial language here, but, so I wonder what, what would the point be? Mm-hmm. And it's clearly connected with the birth of the Messiah. So, you know, long story short, if you actually take the passage for what it says, you got a woman in heaven, the only collection of stars that's the woman is the constellation Virgo, and virgin, okay, everybody knows this. If you actually take that as your, as your starting point, you have the moon under her feet, the sun in her midst, or, you know, sort of in, in, in the womb area, 12, you know, stars around her head, so on and so forth. If you actually do that and plug it into an astronomy program, it does produce a date. And the date, again, is really what freaks people out. (laughs) (laughs) Because the date would be September 11th, 3 BC. It's the only time when not only these, these sets of circumstances, but if you put it in an astronomy program, there are other things going on at the same time that John does not mention, but to a pagan and to a Jew would have signaled something specific. For instance, above the woman, what's the next constellation? Okay, it's Leo, the lion, okay, the tribe of Judah. Oh my inside, inside the constellation Leo, according to this set of, you know, set of celestial events, the king planet, Jupiter, because it's the king planet because it's the biggest one in Greco-Roman astronomy, was aligned, it overlapped with the king's star, which is Regulus. So to a pagan, it would have been the sign of, a div- of the birth of a divine king, but it's in the lion constellation. The dragon at her feet, again, if you plot this out on the ecliptic, there is a dragon figure. There's actually two of them. One is off the ecliptic. The ecliptic is the imaginary line that the constellations follow. In an astronomy program, it actually puts it on the screen for you. There's one at the side, Hydra, but there's also another one directly under her feet that today we would call it Libra and Scorpio. But mm-hmm. in, the, in the ancient world, they were combined as one and referred to as a dragon. Okay? It's waiting to devour the child. If you put all of these things in, all of the events, what's here in John and, and those conjunctions, it's an unusual event. And September 11th, 3 BC is the one you So get. isn't that interesting? We have two scholars coming to the exact same conclusion regarding the birth of the Messiah on 9-11, which has some profound implications, especially if you live here in America. But nonetheless, that the Messiah was born on 9-11. Now, some planetary programs will show it as 2 BC, others 3 BC, depending on if your planetary software has a zero year incorporated. The software I use, Stellarium does, so that's why it shows 2 BC. And so let's turn to that and see exactly what was happening in the night sky on 9-11 of 2 BC in order to tie in the birth of the Messiah and his relationship and connection to our 821 total solar eclipse. And as you can probably guess, we have another 11-date connection between both celestial events. But we also have a celestial event conjunction with the star Regulus. In one case is Jupiter with the birth of the Messiah, as well as our rapture eclipse on August 21st. And then of course, both celestial events occurring in the constellation of Leo. And here again are those three key connections that repeat as a pattern. And whenever studying God's celestial signs, that's what we want to pay attention to, our repeating patterns. As prophecy, as biblical prophecy, is founded on patterns. Case in point, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that Jewish feast days or new moon celebrations or even the Sabbath day, that these things are only a shadow of what is to come, meaning a pattern. And that these patterns point to Christ. In fact, to that point, with tying it to a festival and the prophetic applications of them, let me show you one more clip by Rick Larson. 
In fact, picking exactly up from where we left off last time. We'll see that Jupiter has been crowning Regulus right here in the constellation Leo the Lion. Well, now I can see an association with the Jewish nation. I can see King 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 in Leo. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. But there's something even bigger that I got to show you that really spooked me when I saw it. And to do that, I'm going to take you back to the Bible, to the last book of the Bible. We've just been in the first book of the Bible. Now we're in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And I want to talk a little bit about Revelation first and about its author, because I want to make sure you're all on the same page. Um, it was written by a man named John. Uh, he wrote five books of the New Testament, including the Gospel. He wrote Revelation when he was an old man. He, 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 and, and under dire circumstances, the guy was uh, on the island of Patmos, basically locked up for his Christian beliefs. And he was there, most commentators think, for six to nine months, and basically solitary on a rocky island. And he was old at that point, maybe probably in his 80s, maybe almost, could it even be 90s? And that's when he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, now all of you who've read it, you know it speaks in a swirling prophetic imagery, you know, and it's a, it's, a lot of it seems metaphorical. Sometimes it's not chronological. It's a difficult book. It's a difficult book to interpret. But uh, I can't explain most of it. I can, though, explain a little. I'm going to go to Revelation 12 and show you a corner that I think I understand. Let's take a look and see what John describes. He says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. What is the sign? Well, I want you to watch this. It's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. If you understand this, please email me, okay? His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Hey, here's that scepter again. Who's the child? That's Jesus in his role as king of kings. We saw the, the prediction in Genesis, and here in Revelation, he appears again, and he's got that scepter, because he's now the king of kings. So, if the child is Jesus, who's the woman? Yeah, that's pretty easy. Okay. And in, in, in metaphorical terms, who's the dragon that waited at the, foot, at the foot of the woman to devour the child? That's Herod. The dragon is Herod. John elsewhere tells us in Revelation that the, the dragon is Satan, but we know in human terms it was Herod. So we now understand what he's describing is the birth of Jesus, but he sees it in the heavens. I'm going to show you something now that definitely got all little hairs up on the back of my neck and the back of my arm. and Because uh, what follows Jupiter into the sky as we animate the sky is Virgo, the virgin. And she's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon at her feet. It's just a crescent moon, a very small crescent, barely a visible moon. There's a reason for that. This is Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. The sheer weight of symbolism in the sky on this day blew me away. In September of 3 BC, when Jupiter is coming in a close conjunction with Regulus, the king planet and the king star. That happening in Leo, the lion, representing the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah. That rises in the sky and behind it rises Virgo, the virgin. And she's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon at her feet. It's exactly what John described in Revelation 12. It's what he saw in his vision. It's obvious. That got me. When I went on the time forward and saw that rise and realized, oh my goodness, that's what John saw. There it is. That really let all the hairs come up. Did you catch that, saints? He said that Jesus was born on Rosh Hashanah, which means that Jesus was born on a Jewish feast day. That's the Feast of Trumpets. That's incredible. And just to verify, if we go back to that Stellarium slide on 9-11 of 2 B.C., and we add in the moon. Although the moon rises a few hours later, but just to stay consistent with the slide, I do have it selected. The moon saints, as you can see highlighted yellow, is only one day old, marking the first of the month. And in this case, Rosh Hashanah, AKA the Feast of Trumpets. And this is in accordance with Psalm 81.3, 
when Israel is to blow the trumpets on a new moon, and then the call out of the Feast of Trumpets itself in Leviticus chapter 23, which in accordance with the Jewish religious calendar is the seventh month, not the first, but it is the first month if we're talking about the civil Jewish calendar. But nonetheless, Jesus is born on the Feast of Trumpets. In addition to the fact, our three repeating details of an 11 date, the constellation of Leo and Regulus. And so now it's time for our third case, my rapture vision. And so to preface this just a little bit, since I've never had any kind of visions before, this was the first one, actually it's been the only one, and I don't have prophetic dreams. Uh, however, in this instance, I was wide awake when it happened. And so the best way that I can describe it, it was like a dry run rapture, like a practice rapture, as it happened literally in the twinkling of an eye. However, it was the most profound experience that I've ever had in my entire life. In fact, it changed my life completely. I became on fire for God overnight as I had experienced the love of God in a very supernatural by design way. And so here's what happened. This was when I was back in college and late one night I got prompted by the Holy Spirit. Granted, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at that time, but was prompted to read my Bible. And this was at 1 30 in the morning. Now, mind you, before this night, I had read some verses here and there, made some highlights in my Bible, but nothing of ever great significance. And so anyways, I open up my Bible and I begin reading it. And then saints, all of a sudden, my body lifted into the air, like as if in the spirit. And I could immediately see the top of the roof of my house. And I began speeding away into space extremely fast. And then it was only when I got to the planet Saturn that I slowed down for just a millisecond, just enough so I could see it and then continued on until I hit a white light. And the moment I hit a white light, it was like my head peeped into the third heavens and God said, hello. And it was at that moment, saints, that I experienced the love of God. Now I knew that God loved people, but I didn't know that he was love until this moment. Like the definition of it. Saints, he loves us more than we know. More than we can even comprehend. And immediately I was back in my bed. And the only thing I could do in response was just shed tears of joy. Because in that moment, I knew that God was real beyond a shadow of a doubt. In fact, I even felt lighter like spiritually lighter. I know it sounds weird, but it was a fourth dimensional experience. Here, let me take you to Ephesians chapter three real quick, and then we'll come back to how this relates to our overall pattern. And so pulling up Ephesians chapter three, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What an incredibly profound part of scripture. As it was a four-dimensional experience that I had that night, experiencing the love of Christ. And having this revelation, Saint passeth knowledge, meaning this supernatural by design experience surpasses all knowledge, all knowledge. No matter how many doctorates you have, degrees you have, all the life experience you could ever have, a supernatural experience with Christ's love blows that out of the water. And as Paul states, it's for all saints. Moreover, I'm no one special. And so this dry run practice rapture 
occurred on a very particular day. 1028 of 2006. And 1028 is an 11 date. Which, mind you, before this experience, I didn't even know 11 was a, a thing. I didn't even know numerology was a thing, let alone that. But, moreover, 1028 is the 11 connection. And the experience itself of being a practice rapture is also another unique detail. But if you recall, remember the only planet that I saw was Saturn? I didn't quite know why until just recently, Saints. And unfortunately, I wish I had called the 821 total solar eclipse a while ago the rapture eclipse. But I debated with God. I said, nope, that doesn't make any sense, God. Why do you want me to call it the rapture eclipse? If anything, God, it's pointing to judgment, the crisscross X over America. To which some degree it is, but that's the last leg of the crisscross pattern, technically speaking. And yet, when I went to go look back at Stellarium Saints, it totally makes sense. Why the 821 total solar eclipse is tied to the rapture. Because if we go to the night of 1028 of 2006, the night of my practice rapture, and only seeing Saturn, guess what constellation Saturn was in? Leo. Isn't that crazy? And another unique detail is the fact that my practice rapture was on 1028, and the total solar eclipse is on 821. Do you see the play on similar numbers? Dropping out the zero from 1028, it's a palindrome, saints, of 821, and highlighting the significance of this 11-date connection, as we have seen it in all three examples, 821, 911, and 1028. Not to mention, all three deal with the constellation of Leo. And in two out of the three examples, Regulus, the king star of Leo, plays a very unique role. Isn't that fascinating? But saints, just this argument laid out right here on the screen was the original way that I was going to demonstrate the 821 rapture eclipse. However, if you've seen the war rapture and the Esther eclipse part one, we came to the exact same conclusion, a totally different route. As we see that war is also a part of this rapture theme and tied to Leo. And so one more theme that you gotta check out, check this out real quick. If we take our Esther eclipse of 1014, 2023, that we learned in the previous video, and remember she was married to King Ahasuerus and his name, if you recall, means the Lion King. And therefore, our 1014-2023 eclipse is the Esther eclipse. And the fact that it occurs in the constellation of Virgo, we could also make a case that our 821-2017 eclipse is our Lion King eclipse. Because it occurs in the constellation of Leo. Isn't that interesting? But wait, there's more. In fact, the date durations between these two eclipses is 2,612 days. Add up those days together, it's another 11 connection. Isn't that interesting? So we know that this is significant. These are tied together like a wedding. In fact, isn't the rapture modeled after a Jewish wedding? Yes. Which is why the next detail is very significant. Check this out. If you're familiar with solar eclipses, Anytime we have an annual eclipse, sometimes you may hear them referred to as a wedding ring eclipse because the ring around the eclipse. Now, typically, whenever that terminology gets thrown out, it usually always does around an annular solar eclipse. And so as for me, I've always taken it as a grain of salt. But this one's unique. This time there was something to it. Because what's fascinating, saints, if we take a look at our Esther eclipse, our wedding ring eclipse, guess where that eclipse is at? It's on the hand of Virgo. And in Stellarium, almost looks like her wedding finger, as it would be the hand that a bride would wear a wedding ring. And therefore, further confirmation 
that the Lion King eclipse and the Queen Esther eclipse are tied to a wedding rapture. Isn't it amazing how all these celestial signs are tying together? Oh, saints, I think we're absolutely close to getting out of here. Oh, and one more detail. I just noticed this, literally. Mars and Mercury surround the annular eclipse that's on 1014, our Esther eclipse. Turn with me back to our 821 total solar eclipse. Mars and Mercury are the same two planets around that eclipse. Now, because the Holy Spirit just led that connection, it's still something I need to pray about as far as its meaning. But nonetheless, is further confirmation of our Lion King eclipse and our Esther eclipse being tied together to a wedding rapture. Saints, that is fascinating. God is incredible. His precision and accuracy and timing is impeccable. We serve an awesome God, an awesome creator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so now, with all that being said, saints, I pray that this information was useful and encouraging. Saints, we are almost out of here. And God in his wisdom has put these celestial signs as just one way to confirm the closeness of the rapture. I pray you all have a wonderful and blessed week, and I'll see you in the next video. Maranatha, King Jesus.